awaken your soul. The show brings you inspiring, empowering, and sometimes, quite frankly, mind-blowing conversations about life, death, and everything in between. This is a place which will open up your mind and take your soul for a spin. My name is Agnes, and I'm your host. Let's begin this dance. And welcome. I am excited that you are back with me here on the podcast, and I think you're gonna find this week conversation very intriguing and very inspiring. And I have to say, I was a little nervous before I talked with my guest because he's so incredibly accomplished. But it was. Real, real pleasure, and I talked to Dr. Michael Malura, and he is a licensed PhD psychologist with a practice in Beverly Hills. But also, he's a renowned composer, and he has composed music for theater plays and movies. One of the movies you might know—it's a very famous movie on Netflix called *Heal*. And his music is very, very powerful and incredible. But there's another thing which I think makes Dr. Michael very special, and it is his work he developed, where he works with dreams and music to go deep into somebody's psyche, somebody's soul, to uncover whatever. They need to release whatever they need healing for, and it's just so fascinating how he combines the scientific knowledge and his wisdom and years of study with the artistic side, and using arts like music and images and dreams, and that whole combination is—it's pretty fascinating. And I got a chance to go to one of、uh, Doctors Malura concerts. It was. So beautiful. It's even hard to describe with words because it was so different than anything I've ever experienced. And that evening it was like going on a journey. It was going on a journey, and it was fascinating. So he'll be talking more about that and consciousness and dreams and how to deeper understand ourselves and what are traumas and how to heal it. And it's, it's been a great conversation, and I think you're gonna enjoy it. So we should definitely get to it. Thank you so much for finding the time in your busy schedule, and I'm so excited to have this conversation with you and to share you with my listeners. So welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here, and I feel very honored, Agnes. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, and I want to read a little quote you have on your website by a movie producer who was、uh, co-producing the very. Famous movie Heal, and he wrote. It's a one sentence, but I think it's just like so incredible. And it says, "Michael is a genius in his mastery of music and his dedication to revealing the vibrations of soul."、Mm. And it's just like I get goosebumps when I read that sentence. And I had the pleasure. To attend one of your concerts, 
and it was just absolutely amazing. But I would like you to kind of explain to the listeners, among many things, what is the dream work and how do you work with dreams and music? What is that special type of therapy, which is very unique and you're the only one who's doing that? Yes. Um, well, thank you for that question. It begins really with understanding that the nature of dream work, and we're talking about dreams, the dreams we have when we're sleeping, and it's a brain operation. It's a brain function. It's a technology of the brain. And we begin by understanding that dreams are vibrations, just like images and just like music is. Everything is a vibration that's being perceived and understood by the other parts of our experience of consciousness. And in order to understand and receive dream images, we need to be able to begin by understanding what is their function, why are they there, and how does the brain generate these images, and is there a reason for these images? And so I always thought that dreams were fascinating stories they have their own narrative, they have their own excitement to them. And as a child, I used to dream a lot. And so I got fascinated by that. But I was a composer very early in my life. So very early in my life, I actually used to compose music based on dreams I'd have. And it was kind of the exciting inspiration for my work as a composer. So the work that I created through my PhD background is that I became very obsessed and interested in what what is the function of dreams and why do people dream and and how do we work with dreams and so as a composer I decided to inform the process by using music in order to help us with the recall of dreams also with the you know with the information and try to understand what a dream might mean and also to bring some creativity into the space. So it kind of is this combination of my two loves, which is understanding the nature of consciousness and the beauty and aesthetics of music and art. And I wanted to bring that together, so I created this therapy where I compose music to people's actual dreams in order to access deeper healing modalities for their recovery based on whatever they're coming to see me. That is so incredible. And I listened to one of the interviews you've done, and you were talking about how sometimes when we talk about our emotions and our traumas, right, we're kind of limited with how we can express our feelings. But the dreams, they reveal so much, right? And then the music just triggers something where we actually can sometimes feel those feelings for the first time and we're not even aware of them. Yes, very, very nicely said. A lot of people don't understand that this concept of a trauma, right, which is, happens in almost all of our lives. Matter of fact, I, I, I would say that we've all experienced trauma on some level. But, you know, some people have experienced more severe forms of trauma. And trauma is certainly the experience in the brain where something happens that feels very painful and difficult to process, like completely overwhelming, like God forbid a child was being abused before they even know their own name or before they even have a consciousness or an awareness of what's going on. So the brain's only way of making sense of its experience is by repressing it 
meaning it hides it. It doesn't reveal all the experiences, feelings, and emotions associated with that event. And it's kind of repressed and hidden. Dreams sometimes are an expression of that trauma, but it's hidden within a story. And this is how the, the brain is actually trying to make sense of its own existence. But it uses this material in order to generate the content of dreams. And, but when you have a dream, for example, you know, a dream may seem very strange and abstract and not have really any particular specific meaning. But when you start to get into the symbolism and into even the music of a dream, you start to get to its essence and its beauty and its sacred qualities. And within that process, you're also revealing the deepest experiences of secrets that the brain has because you're allowing it to be to express itself. So trauma does get expressed within a dreamscape on one level or another. But like without the deeper work, we may not even know what's being expressed. So I got really interested in trying to understand what is being expressed within each of our dreams and, you know, how is it attempting to heal itself? Because the big concept here is that I believe along with some great masters and teachers who taught me that we as organism, we as a human species, actually have the functions to heal itself within ourselves. Mm -hmm. If we just get out of the way, we actually have most of the information we need in order to heal our own illnesses and triggers and challenges. The problem is, is that we have this ego and the part of the brain that likes to censor information all the time and doesn't want us to heal so much because it's got another agenda. But if we could just get that ego out of the way, we can actually access deeper information that's hidden within us that actually has the information for us to find some recovery and healing for whatever we need. So if you're working with a person who potentially was traumatized as a child and then has spent most of their life in broken relationships or alcoholism or drug abuse, but they never really did the extra work to find out what was at the source of it, but they've been having these nightmares maybe most of their life, the, the dreams are actually going to paint a picture of what's needed in order to find healing. Mm. Does that make sense? Well, absolutely. It totally makes sense. I think like, you know, generally arts, right? They are really revealing so, so much what's really like deep, inside of us and music especially i myself like i love music you know as a, as a dancer i've been so um always moved by music i always felt like that was the reason i danced was the music and then you know in the recent years getting into more of a sound healing and really working like with more vibration of the music it's just like it's it's incredible it just like it reveals a lot of things yes oh absolutely like you know for me like I had those experiences where the music just like revealed those memories I didn't even know they existed right yes yeah well music has a, a, a healing component within it because it's vibrational that it awakens deep cells that haven't been activated for recall memory recall and there's a lot of studies out there even right now 
on something even like on Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, where music has a very interesting impact in the ability to bring back memories that were lost. And I think creativity in general has ability to do that. Another part of the process of doing some healing work, which is not something I necessarily do, but some of my colleagues do, which is to have people act out or dance out their traumas and their experiences. It's called the embodiment of a dream experience or the embodiment of a trauma. And as I love that work, it's really fascinating. So that's why I think actually some of the people that are able to really embrace their own consciousness generally are people who are very creative or need to tap into their creativity. Mm, that makes sense. Wow, that's beautiful. I have to look into that, though. Yeah. To move the body to reveal, you know, the traumas. And that's very fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a dancer, so to speak. I'm a composer, so I put music. But I know other people who are dancers who like to work with dance and movement. Yeah. But I also see a combination there. There's a lot of opportunity there. I'm, I'm, always, I'm also very interested in, in dance theater, for example. And certain forms of dance theater, if you pay attention to like contemporary dance, for example, like choreographers like Pina Bausch, I don't know if you're familiar with her work from Europe, uh, but like this work kind of dances in between the crevices between reality and surrealism and brings out this dreamlike quality of what it means to be human, but in dance movements and, in, and with music as well. And I, and I loved that. I was very inspired by that kind of work. Yeah. Also by composers who were interested in representing the unseen world with the seen world. People like Philip Glass and Steve Reich, John Cage. These, these are people that I very much inform my own process, my own work. And I'm very excited about the fact that I'm doing psychology inspired by composers, <laughs> you know, uh, as well as great writers and thinkers like Carl Jung and Freud, of course. Yeah, that's incredible. It's so unique that you combine those two sides, you know, the very uh, scholar side, very scientific with such a artistic side as well, right? That's, that's rare. It's usually one or the other. Yeah, it's, it's very rare. And it's because I kind of I'm aligned with a Jungian perspective on psychology. And, you know, Jung was very interested in creativity and art and how it represents the, the psychosis of the mind. He himself experimented back in, you know, the early 20th century with these ideas about art and creation and psychosis in order to find healing for people who suffered from hysteria and depression and delusions. And that was really the area that gave me a chance to combine science, I think, with something creative. But it's a, it's, it is a beautiful, I think, a beautiful way of approaching what is otherwise a very you know, dry can be very intense and very cerebral intellectual experience. And when I uh, first started seeing psychologists, even I felt it was a little too stuck. You know, it felt it didn't feel like I had enough freedom to express myself. And when so when I decided to become a therapist or a psychologist, I wanted to give my clients the space to be creative 
and expressed however they want to be and open. So I'm a lot more interactive with my work with my clients. And, but yet I stay within a clinical frame at the same time. Yeah, it's like the best of both worlds, right? So that's my intention. And I want to also make it clear to your listeners that I don't just do this kind of work. You know, I can, I also do regular just straight psychotherapy where we may not do dream or music work. I may do a lot of dream work. That is what kind of informs a lot of my processes, but not necessarily always bring in the music. The music comes in naturally, and if the client is wishing to do that kind of work, or and then some people come to me specifically because they want to do a dream music uh, therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but it's so amazing that you, as a as a doctor, you have so many tools, right? That uh, get to people in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's also would be nice. I think it's important even for other clinicians to connect with their own inner creative skills and abilities and be able to apply that to their work in whatever way feels appropriate and right for them. I actually teach PhD level trainees on how to work with dreams and I inspire them to use something like music in their work if it's appropriate. But you'd be amazed how few clinicians are either trained or even instructed how to use dreams in their therapy. So it's become very unique. But now I think it's kind of making a little bit of a comeback. There's more people showing a lot more interested in Jung's work and in dream work. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. I think you don't hear about it so often, but I remember for me, I don't know if if, if it's a Polish thing, but as a child, I would always like wake up and the first thing I would I like ask my mom, it's like, do you have any dreams? Oh, and to, to this day, you know, I pay attention like to the dreams because I feel it's such a beautiful, almost like this mystical world. And, you know, sometimes you have a dream you don't want to wake up from because it's so amazing, right? And you're like, oh, you wake up and it's like, oh, it just felt so real and you wish, right? And sometimes it's the other way around. It's like you have, thank goodness, that was just a dream. (laughs) It's so interesting. When when I talk to people from Europe, there's so much more of a, a appreciation and understanding of what dream, how dreams function in our lives and how much beauty and connection they can provide. And it's almost more natural to the culture of Europe than it is to people over here uh, in the West, you know, in, in like America, even though of course there is a very strong dream consciousness here. But I, I have found that this work is much more easily understood and appreciated when people come from a European background, like the description you just gave of you waking up and talking to your mother sounds just so poetic and cinematic to me. And yet, and that was my experience too. Like I wanted to share my dreams with people as well. But, you know, it's very cultural. So that's sweet that you have had that in your life. And you're right. Sometimes the dreams are so beautiful, you don't want to wake up. And then for other people, they can be so terrifying and painful, they wish they could wake up, you know. But that, that's also another reason why I like to do the work, because I can help people who do have lots of nightmares 
understand that those nightmares are actual shadows just wishing to be exposed and revealed. So they're not going to be so frightening in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Wow. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. And, you know, I have a question just pop up at this moment as a musician. What would you say, like, I, I got, I think especially since me working with, like, the sound healing, like, with, with instruments like gong and the crystal balls, I get very, uh, almost to the point I get offended by certain music. Mm. And I just remember I was in a store and there was, like, this, like, very, like, offensive, you know, with, like, terrible words and just the vibration was awful. And I just felt like... <gasps> I got such a bad feeling from it. I had to like walk out of the store and I'm like, so weird. So, so with the music being a vibration, like would you say that certain music can affect us like negatively? Absolutely. Every piece of music is an expression of that composer or that musician's heart and soul. And if that person is carrying with them a lot of pain and unprocessed wounds, they're going to get it. They can be expressed. I don't necessarily believe that that means that all, any certain form of music is particularly offensive. But what it does say in, in your experience there is something was going on in your experience of that particular piece of music that you are picking up intuitively um, and probably because you are a pretty spiritual being and you're very vulnerable to vibrations, you are picking something up from that energy that felt offensive to your particular soul or your particular experience, uh, what we call phenomena. And, you know, what would have been interesting if we could figure out what that piece of music it was, would to be to play it for you and then to see what is coming up for you or what a particular detail about that music was um, affecting you on this level. So, and because the belief is, is whatever that is, and this is why I like dark music and then I love very light music. I love it all. But I think certain dark forms of music, including even dark forms of art, right? Theater and film, whatever it would be. The attempt by the artist unconsciously, meaning without awareness, is to expose some shadow about our culture and about our being a human being that can then be expressed so there can be more healing. So I think there's a healing component to everything, including very dark pieces of music and so it's really interesting but it's also can be very offensive to a lot of people some of my music has been can be considered offensive to the ears to some people because some of it is very dark when i go into dream music it can get dark yeah so interesting it made me think of like similar like to food right that i'm like i don't absorb certain food because i doesn't feel good and that's how I felt with the music it's like I don't want that music to sink in because it just felt not good <laughs> yeah, it feels like poison right it feels like you're toxic and yes poison to your blood right that's a really good point I like that uh, analogy to food because that makes a lot of sense in even psychological terminology as well as artistic terminology 
when you're going to watch or listen to something, you don't know, you know, what are the ingredients of the food you're about to uh, digest. And you can get trapped in certain situations. I know it's happened to me, too, where I ended up maybe in a room and something was playing and it wasn't good. Or they were serving something that I can't personally digest. Like, I can't eat cilantro, for example. There you go. <laughs> you know, which is a very common, beautiful ingredient that a lot of people can eat. But, you know, I can't eat cilantro. But And when it happens, it kind of feels offensive to me, the same way a piece of music could be offensive to you. But then I also recognize that the person who served it isn't didn't do it on purpose. They didn't know. They weren't trying to poison me, nor was the composer who created that piece of music trying to, you know, offend you. Yes, that's a good take. That's definitely true. Well, that's why a lot of this, uh, I think, material, dream material and and music and art, uh, I love the subject that we're talking about here, including art into this conversation. I think a lot of this material has the potential to expand our consciousness. You know, uh, there's if we don't resist it too much, we can expand it. And that's what I always hope for the people I work with and also the people I perform for and the films that I work on is that we're all, they're all about attempts to expand our understanding of ourselves and of consciousness so it can take in more information and so we can have a full experience of what it means to be alive rather than a limited one, mm. you know? So I, I actually tend to say the people who, let's just say they're offended by country music, then maybe we should play some country music and see what happens and, and, and process it rather than, then okay, then we won't talk about or we won't, you know, listen to country music. Right? Yeah, because like you want to find out why the resistance, right? Right, exactly. What's going on there. Now, this is all under the umbrella of healing and so forth and for people to recover from symptoms or something they're struggling with whether it's intimacy issues or you know depression or anxiety or whatever it is so under that umbrella that's what we're talking about you know exposure and resistance is very important i think in life though in general if you're offended by hip-hop music or something, then you should avoid it because <laughs> it's unpleasurable, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned about anxiety and depression, and that is something I would love to talk to you about because especially now, I feel like I, I read the sentence that what we're experiencing now with, with the virus is like revealing a lot of things in people right and I have so many like close friends and they just say that you know their anxiety levels are so high or often people say I'm depressed like those two words they circulate so much even before you know the pandemic we're experiencing so how would you say from your you know being a doctor with all your studies like help us to understand what anxiety and depression is and things you do to help your patients yeah it's a great question i mean anxiety first we want to understand that symptoms any symptom whether it's anxiety depression delusions hallucinations 
whatever the symptoms are, these are expressions of the soul, expressions of the psyche. Just like an artist is expressing itself through music, the body and the soul is expressing itself through these symptoms. And if we track it and begin to understand, instead of being afraid of our anxiety, we want to turn it around and try to understand what our body is trying to say or what is the message. Because as I said at the top of this, this interview, is that the body is trying to heal, the mind is trying to heal, the body-mind connection is trying to heal. It heals itself through symptoms, right? This is why when you eat poison, you get a stomach ache. <laughs> so this way you know you need to do something about how to get the poison out of your intestines and, and do something to help your, your illness. In the psyche, it's the same thing. That might show up as anxiety. Anxiety is the process or the expression of the brain feeling like it's not where it needs to be. So it's this, ex this experience of, oh my God, I'm being told that I have to be quarantined when I'd rather be out, you know, in the ocean or walking along the, the uh, walking along nature and, you know, being more intimate with the world differently than how it would feel inside one's apartment. So organismically, it's going to have a reaction. It's saying, I'm not what getting the oxygen I need, or I'm not getting what I think I need. And it feels disorienting and scary to it. And then what needs to happen is to be able to talk about that, first of all, speak into that anxiety. And then there's also the depression and the grief of what it means to be human and to see so much death, you know, and to see so much horrible illness at the moment, you know, in this time in history, it being May of 2020, when this virus has taken over our civilization as we've known it, and we're all being forced to kind of confront our own mortality. And I don't think we're used to doing that. I think most of us are used to denying our mortality as an organism. So we're experiencing a certain sense of grief and awareness of our mortality, at least as an organism. And we're vulnerable to virus and disease every day, including cancer. You know, it's, it's, an, it's a reality that we're kind of confronted by these things, but we're not generally always thinking about it. But right now, the brain is being forced to think about things it wouldn't normally think about. So it's creating a sense of depression, powerlessness, a lack of control, feeling of uneasiness, and feeling like you're off the grid. We don't know where we are, and we don't know what we're going to do. A colleague shared with me a dream that she had about going through a, a tunnel and not knowing when, we were, when she was going to be able to get to the other side of the tunnel. And in the dream, she was in a uh, kind of a, a space machine that goes very quickly, and that she was hoping that she would be able to move very quickly through the tunnel. And she was feeling this anxiety uh, that the tunnel would never end because she doesn't see the light. And then she woke up. And I made the analogy that that's kind of like how we're feeling as a, as a species right now, that we're going through a dark tunnel 
but knowing that somewhere on the other side there's the light, but we're not sure how long it's going to take to get there. And part of the healing process right now is, again, this theme of get the ego out of the way. Stop thinking about how you're going to get to the other side and just let the experience be where it needs to be and trust that just as it's happened every other time in history, we will find a way through the tunnel to the end and see the light, right? At the end there, there will be light. We'll get to the other side of the tunnel. But this is a process. And the anxiety is coming from the organism of brain that's terrified that it's being annihilated. And then we need consciousness, higher levels of consciousness and awareness and creativity in order to relieve that anxiety, in order to metabolize this experience. And I think this is generally true all the time, but it's just more, there's more awareness around it now because it's so prevalent because of the COVID-19 situation. Yeah, we're so used to thinking, I've noticed that especially here in the United States, comparing with Europe is so much about going faster and doing more and about future, future, future. I remember when I first moved here and like everybody was asking me, so where do you see yourself in five years? What are your goals? And it was so overwhelming because... You know, for me, it was more like, I think I was more into every day. And of course, I had some goals, but I wasn't primarily just like thinking about it. So I felt like, oh my goodness, I have to figure out my life because so many people are expecting that, you know, it's, it was like, it was pressure. Yeah, that's, that's an anxiety question. Yes. And it's like, you know, it's like, who knows, right? <laughs> yeah. So nice to have those dreams and goals but if we're so attached to it we get so stressed about because we always feel like we're not doing enough every day right yeah so we live in a culture that's all about trying to fix we're always trying to fix something it's constant you know manipulating and strategizing and feeling powerless against the ability to control what's happening and this is all a function of the ego. And this is something that, you know, a lot of other great writers have written about, which is that the basis of the organismic brain, which is not the conscious high-level functioning brain, but the organism, the basis action of the egoic organismic brain is that it tries to manipulate. It tries to control, measure, and predict the future. And anytime you do that, it's going to be anxiety-provoking. And when you start to recognize the times that you're doing this, right, thinking about where I'm going to be five years from now or this, as a, you know, you're walking right into the den of the ego and the, the brain is going to react with a lot of uneasiness and trying to fix it. And the, the actual treatment or the, the way to contend with this and to metabolize this experience is to recognize what the brain is doing and then also trying to go into a sense of presence. All the spiritual, the great spiritual teachers emphasize how important it is for us to be present. And I don't think people understand what that is, what that even means. You know, they think presence is, well, presence is terrifying. Right now, the presence is that I'm going to die or, the, or something terrible is going to happen. But then I kind of remind them, wait. 
you're not going to die right now. Your brain is telling you you may die in the future. <laughs> and that's true. <laughs> Unfortunately, as organisms, we are going to die. Uh, consciousness may continue as far as we know internally, but our organismic brain will die. But we get confused about what it means to be present. And a great teacher brought up recently this concept of if you are wherever you are, wherever you are right now, know why you are where you are. And I think that was a really great lesson or a great concept. Just know why you are where you are. Just be where you are right now. That's amazing. And to be present. To be present means not to be thinking about what might happen to you or, and certainly not to be thinking about what has happened to you. Yes. It's to be just mindful of this moment and to be present in this moment and to be at peace with that. But it's very difficult to get there. Mm -hmm. And I understand that from personal experience as well. It's not easy to be present. And that's what a lot of my work is about is helping people to sustain some sense of presence, but then also to recognize what are the obstacles that keep them from being present. Mm. And usually that's from trauma. Yes. Right. And we get back to that question. Yes. And what would you say are some practices maybe which you do personally or you would recommend for people to start practicing being more present? Are there like a simple ways to start to cultivating or like you even said to even, you know, start to realizing what that actually is? Yeah, it's so interesting. Every time I'm asked this question, I always start to think in my mind, what should, what I, what should I say first? Mm. And so often I say something else first. But I want to be inspired by the moment and think about the fact that right now, there's this virus out there that attacks our respiratory system, and which is connected to prana, which is connected to the breath. So I want to say that I think one of the most important ways to get present right now is to find a master, a teacher of some kind, whose main focus is the breath work where even if it's just one class, that's all people really need. They don't have to get involved with a whole nother serial commitment to doing something weekly. They've already got enough going on. But just find the master whose focus is to teach you how to do deep breathing exercises. I do that on some level with my clients. If they don't have a breathing technique, I try to teach them what I've learned from other masters as well. But for deep breath, that makes us present almost immediately. That's the deep breathing and the holding of the prana and then releasing it either through the nose or the mouth. I prefer the nose as my practice because I think that connects you automatically to the parasympathetic nervous system, which is what is a dormant at times when you're anxious. So people right now are anxious because they're all part of the sympathetic nervous system. That's the fight or flight mechanisms of the brain, the, the fear mechanisms of the brain. They're listening to fight, flight, and fear and freeze, right? And so 
in order to counteract that, you want the parasympathetic nervous system to be enacted, to be activated. We do that through breath work. And that also helps people be able to be stronger in their fight against COVID, if they want to even think of it in those terms, to kind of keep those bronchial tubes open and to be connected to your own breath is going to make you feel a whole lot more safe and also connect to the deeper part of yourself. So number one, I would say that is breath work. Number two, if you're not practicing some form of connection with a deeper part of the self, you might want to learn how to do yoga or take on something that allows you to get into the body to release the anxiety in the different parts of the body. Because right now we're all kind of constricted and we're confused. And there's a lot of ways to now do uh, yoga even within your home through great yoga teachers out there. And that then prepares the body for the third piece, which I think is meditation. Having a meditation practice where you can just learn how to meditate five minutes, ten minutes of a day. It doesn't take much and it doesn't mean you're you're separating yourself from your own personal beliefs or religions. There's a lot of people out there that think, oh, I don't like to do yoga and meditation. It sounds very Eastern or counterproductive to their Christianity or other beliefs, but that's not true. You can practice whatever you wish religiously, but spiritually we can all connect through the practice of yoga and meditation, which is also scientifically proven to decrease anxiety and to produce more consciousness and awareness of where you are in the moment. And then I think in addition to this is then to also be able to have a safe place to be able to talk about who you are and what's going on. And if you're open to like a having a therapist, but finding a therapist who can speak to you the way, you know, we need to be spoken to something that really resonates with your interest in presence. And that is also very helpful. One last one is to, in whatever way possible, even in this quarantine time, uh, there's still opportunities to connect with nature. Nature is there. It's not, it's actually more alive than ever and vibrant and it is there. So when you're taking a walk, don't just walk past the trees, look at them, feel them. They're there to give us oxygen. They're there to give us love and to say, we're in this too. We're all part of this earth. Connecting to the earth right now is very important. The mother is holding us. The mother is speaking to us. In LA, we had a very interesting experience just, I think, a couple of weeks ago when on Earth Day at midnight, there was a slight earthquake. And it almost, it wasn't offensive. It wasn't destructive. It was almost like the mother earth kissing us and saying, when you cough, I cough. And I love you. And I'm here to hold you. And if we listen to her, instead of getting scared of her, we're going to be able to find more healing and be able to feel safer and find more trust that will find our way through any problem, any dilemma. And we need to tune in, you know, and that's where the music comes in, tuning in to the unconscious, tuning into our consciousness and awareness. And that's when we can really get uplifted by our experiences and instead of expressing and coming from fear. That was so incredible. I get really like a deep sense of like knowing when you said those things because 
for me, I've experienced incredible healing from every single thing you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it was so profound, which made me change kind of the course of, of my life and wanting to, to dedicate to those practices and, and share those with people because they are just like so incredible, like the breath work, you know, like I remember when I first took a breath work class, I felt like I experienced breathing for the first time. Yes. Such a profound experience. And we take it for granted, right? Because we all breathe. We don't think about it, but yet, you know, without breath within a few minutes, we, we are done, right? Your minutes, that's all it takes in order to get present. If you just get aware of like that breath, right? That's what this is all about. That's why I'm also very appreciative of people like yourself who might create a podcast dedicated to opening people up and having these discussions because this is what people need to hear. They need to understand this because they forget. It seems so obvious. But, I mean, it's the breath. And that's why I kind of look at, you know, in Jungian psychology, we tend to look at images in life. Everything is an image. Breathing is an image. And we don't take it for granted. We, we try to understand what every image in our life means and what it means to us and how does it pro- provide more insight. Like, this virus is an image with a consciousness of its own that's saying something about our relationship with breathing. And it reminds us that we need to be grateful and to treat ourselves with this love and respect and to, you know, be connected to our brothers and sisters and and anyone who is sick and to help, you know, this future of this world. But like right now, we're able to breathe for the first time, I think, with a, a heightened sense of consciousness. And that excites me, even though it's under this terrible crisis, you know, but in the other side of it, I think there's a lot of consciousness that is coming out of this. And so the breath work, right, right there in front of us. And I think it's great that you practice that. Yes, absolutely. And thank you, Michael, for all the work you're doing, because I feel world needs more of people like you. Oh, well, thank you. Come from such a, you know, spiritual perspective because we are spiritual beings, but also there is, we are in this material world. So to have that scientific knowledge, it's so important because that's how we can connect with each other, especially with some people, right? Who are more in that scientific area. So thank you. I mean, it was amazing. I'm so grateful that we had that conversation and I'm so grateful that you shared your wisdom and I will be attaching all the links for people to be able to connect with you and you do take on clients right even though in the midst of what's going on but you do work with people like online as well yes my entire practice right now is online it it works there's a great connection that takes place through this through this process and it needed a, a little bit of an adjustment at the beginning because it was it wasn't online before but um i'm rather enjoying it now I, I think there's a very interesting deep functioning connection that's taking place between people even through this apparatus this this construction of the internet so i'm excited about that as well yes i am open and i am seeing clients right now. wonderful and i'm hoping to attend one of your concerts in the future where you work with music and the dreams it was such incredible experience to do that we're trying to figure out how to do a dream music event 
Uh, I did have a dream, a global dream circle on Sunday. I don't know if you heard about that, but we had a global dream circle yesterday. And it was uh, really fantastic. It was attended by people from different parts of the world. And they shared dreams and we kind of discussed it. And it was really fun and, and enlightening. And we did a little music. And we hope to do more of them in the future. Uh, I think we're going to try to make it a monthly event. So they can stay tuned to that by kind of going onto my website. Right. Or getting on my newsletter through Michael at drmichaelmalora.com. And then also they can reach me by calling me. Great. So I'll attach your number as well and all the links because I feel like it's such a unique work you do and I want people to have the ability to connect with you. So thank you, Dr. Michael. You are such a pleasure. And I'm so grateful for you sharing the wisdom again and connecting online. And it was, it was amazing. Thank you. And I hope we stay in touch. Thanks for listening to Awaken Your Soul. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I would love for you to subscribe, share it with your friends or review it. Can't wait to connect next time. And in the meantime, you can check my website at lifewithagnes.com.